It is so good to see our friends from other congregations with us tonight. We are grateful that you are here. Last Sunday night, I preached a sermon comparing those who operate under the influence or drive while intoxicated or drive under the influence of drugs to those who worship under the influence of spiritual substitutions and false doctrines and emotions and experiences. We talked about how there's a lot of folks in the religious world today who it seems are seeking this euphoric emotional high, who go to church looking for more and bigger and brighter and something to just dazzle them and make them emotionally euphoric, drunk on their own thrill-seeking, as it were, all the while headed for a very fiery and fatal crash that will be the result of their reckless abandon and rejection of God's authority. Sort of like a drunk driver speeding down the road that doesn't pay any attention to the speed signs because they're too intoxicated. There are people in the religious world that are seeking this euphoric emotional experience that really doesn't have anything to do with the warnings written in God's Word and, and they're going so fast and they're seeking such a high that they can't even read, it seems, what the Scripture says in the warnings any more than one who is intoxicated by drugs, by alcohol, can read speed limit signs and those sorts of things. We talked about, again, last Sunday night, trying to bring up to speed those of you that might not have been here. We talked about religious people in the world today that are so intent, sadly some even in the Lord's church, and that's so tragic. But they're so intent in some cases on keeping up with the darting denominations who are blown about by every wind of doctrine, that some even in the Lord's church become so blind to the law of Christ. And the tragedy of that is that one day he who has all authority will enforce those laws that he laid down in his word. We spoke last Sunday night of religious people so drunk on the elixir of their own desperately sought after emotionally induced euphoria that they are totally unable to adequately react to or even recognize the divine warnings in scripture they see. So we went on from that point and we discussed the fact that if you attract people with entertainment, if you attract them with entertainment, the problem with that is that you have to keep the entertainment getting bigger, better, brighter, badder, because what satisfies on one level, if they keep coming, you can't keep presenting the same thing, the same laser light show, the same band, the same entertainment euphoria that so many churches use. I mean, if you give away, you know, $10 bills to everybody that comes in the door for long, you have to give away hundreds. I mean, you have to keep upping the ante, as it were. You have to keep going higher and higher and higher and higher and... I said, you know, that's sort of like people that use drugs. You start out with what we might consider to be one of the lower echelon, low-powered drugs, but after a while that drug doesn't satisfy anymore. And so the drug user has to use more and more potent, and after a while that doesn't amount to anything, and they have to go to something higher and more powerful. And 
got out in the parking lot afterward and I was talking to Alex and Alex's education is a lot better than mine when it comes to those sorts of things but one of the things he said was was look you gotta understand how that works here's the deal when you have somebody that uses drugs not only what you said is true but this gives this gives even more validation to it when you have somebody that uses drugs on a low level it burns out some of their receptors and so they have to go to something stronger in order to try to get the same sort of high but because some of those receptors are burned out they can't get the same sort of high so they have to go even stronger the stronger they go and every level they go up the more the receptors burn out the more they put in the harder it is to get anything back and so you just get this this continual frustration and, and on and on and on it goes and you know I'm convinced the same thing is true in the spiritual world as well I am I am convinced that this is why sometimes when people come into our services you have a stranger come into our services and this has happened in the not too distant past and they come in and they have no idea what the church of Christ is about and they come in and we don't have a laser light show, and we don't have a rodeo, and we don't have a band, and we sit here and we sing these songs, and they leave, and despite repeated phone calls to them, they never return. I'm convinced that one of the reasons for that is because they're looking for more and more and more and bigger and brighter and all of these things. You see, if a person comes in here looking for the accept everything, no such thing as sin, no challenge to change, tell them only what it takes to get their cash, the good times gospel of Joel Olstein approach, then they're not going to stay with us. They're not going to stay with us if that's what they're looking for. Because we keep the charge that God gave the Apostle Paul to give to the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Please open there, even if you know the text. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5. If they're looking for dramas and skits and something bigger and brighter and more bedazzling, it just captures them. Well, they're not going to find it here. Because our charge and what we do here is again what God gave the Apostle Paul to give to the young evangelist Timothy. Where he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, through 5, I charge you, brethren, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, it is appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. That's what we do here. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Tell me some fantasy story. Tell it to me with drama and skits and more lights and bigger productions and fog machines. Heard from a young man who used to go to Green Valley Bible Camp when he was age eligible. Heard from him within the last six months or so and he's gone away to one of our colleges and they went to some big youth event and he said on his way home he, he, he emailed me and he said I was so saddened he said by going to that event he said you know this was supposed to be this worship thing and he said they had fog machines and it was this big production on stage and he said that's that's not what church is all about 
On the other hand, if people are looking to satisfy their desperate desire for a spiritual high with some emotionally driven, euphoric feeling stimulus like a, a band or a concert or a rodeo or a laser light show, of course now, with a cross placed appropriately in the background just to give it some semblance of actually being a religious event, they're not going to stay with us either. You see, we in the Lord's Church are no more into cheap cheap, worldly entertainment tricks and events to attract people to the life-giving gospel of our Lord Jesus. We're no more into that than our Lord Jesus was into turning his sacred power and abilities into some sort of religious circus performance for Herod and his people in Luke chapter 23. Please turn there. Luke chapter 23 verses 8 through 11. Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 8. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he'd heard many things about him. He hoped to see some miracle done by him. And he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered Herod nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him, and then Herod, with his men of war, treated Jesus with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. When Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he who died, he who bled and died for each one of us for the church, when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, was when he refused to supply Herod and his men with that entertainment high that they were to be, oh, let's see him do some miracle. Yeah, come on, Jesus, do some miracle. When, when Jesus refused to use his sacred power to perform for Herod, when he refused to entertain the troops as it was, They reacted to him with contempt and mocking. And you know, sometimes when we in the Lord's church refuse to resort to gimmickry and games and laser light shows and entertainment and all that stuff that the religious world is going after, we refuse to put on a show and sometimes we too are treated with contempt and mocking. You see, we in the Lord's church practice worship is 2,000 years old. Hadn't changed in two millennia. We still sing without instrumental accompaniment just as our first century brethren did. We still have male leadership in the assembly exclusively just like our first century brethren did according to the scripture. We still give of our means only on Sunday, just like the first century brethren of ours did, according to Scripture. We still enjoy communion with the Lord and with one another each first day of the week, just like our first century brethren did, as we see in Scripture. And we still listen to the preaching of a biblically sound, hopefully, Book, chapter, and verse, black and white gospel sermon from God's Word, just like Paul told Timothy he had to preach. And just as the Lord's one faithful New Testament church has been doing every first day of the week for the past 20 centuries, instead of being cheated and misled and led astray through philosophy and empty deceit and the commandments of men, Colossians chapter 2. 
Instead of being led astray by the empty deceit of man-made stories, doctrines, skits, traditions, and drama presentations. So, we know what the folks out there are looking for, but the questions I have tonight are twofold. And they're for us. Why is it we worship the way we do? What is it we're looking for? Let's, let's change gears. We know what the world's looking for. Why is it we worship the way we do? What is it you're looking for in worship? What is it we're looking for in worship? Those are the two questions I want to answer with tonight's sermon. Question number one. Why is it we worship the way I just outlined? The answers in a nutshell can all be found in the Gospel of John. I'm going to take you to five places in the Gospel of John that answer this question thoroughly. Why is it we worship the way we do? Let's look at the first one in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 8. Reason number one, we worship the way we do. In no particular order, by the way. It's just the way I happen to line them up. John 10, 27 and 8. Here's why we worship the way we do. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Reason number one that we worship the way we do is because we want eternal life, and we understand that Jesus' sheep listen to and follow what Jesus said. That's why we worship the way we do. It's really that simple. It's not complicated. We want to go to heaven. We want eternal life. We want to make sure that we shall never perish. How do we do that? Because the way we accomplish that is to hear Jesus' voice and do what Jesus said. And Jesus' voice is right here. That's why we worship according to Scripture. The second one from the book of John is very simple. Most of you can probably quote it. John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. We worship the way we do. We worship according to the commandments that God gave us in scripture because we love Jesus. It's no more complicated than that. The third reason from the gospel of John that we worship the way we do. John chapter 8 Verses 31 and 2. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if, notice it's conditional. It is not locked. It is conditional. If means, this is what's going to happen if you do this. But if you do not do this, then this ain't happening. Jesus said to those disciples who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you take up residence in my word, if you live in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Why do we worship the way we do? Because we studied God's word. We know what God said, and we're going to do it God's way because we want to be free from sin. We want to be free from disappointing God. We want to be free from, from having to face hell. All of those things. So we do it his way. John, the fourth one in John, John 17 and verse 17, Jesus, the night before he was crucified in his prayer to his heavenly father, spoke of his disciples and he said, told his father, he said, sanctify, which means set apart, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Why do we worship the way we do? Because we are set apart in God's truth. 
And whatever worship we find in God's truth, if we're going to be set apart from the rest of the world, we're going to be set apart by doing it according to the truth. Book, chapter, and verse. That's why we worship the way we do. Somebody say, well, you know, might be a lot more exciting if you have an early morning worship service to use coffee instead of fruit of the vine on the Lord's table. Well, you know what? If you're a coffee fanatic like I am, you know what? Maybe so. But today you do, you disobey God. Period. That which seems right to a man, its end is the way of death. We worship the way we do. Some of us might think, well, if we did this different, or we did that different, or, you know, maybe if we had a full band, we'd attract more people. And you join more people on that wide and easy way that leads to eternal destruction because you're not doing it the way God said to do it. That's why we worship the way we worship. We don't worship this way to be popular. We don't worship this way to make friends with the world. James talked about those who, you know, are friends with the world or enemies of God. We worship the way we do because God said do this and we love and trust God. That's why. Reason number five can be found in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 4. The fifth and final one is to why we worship the way we do. John 4, verses 23 and 4. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They'll worship Him with the proper attitude and they will worship Him truly and in accordance with His truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is still looking for those people who will worship Him with the proper attitude of reverence and respect, who will truly and sincerely worship in accordance with His Word, which is truth. I want to be the kind of worshiper God's looking for, don't you? That's why we worship the way we do. Those five very simple and straightforward texts from the Gospel of John more than adequately answer the first of our two questions as to why we worship the way we do. Even though, folks, look, look around. Just everybody pull an owl. Turn around and look behind you. Just, you know, circle around for just a second. See all that red back there and all that red and that empty spaces? We could fill these pews a lot fuller if we would compromise with culture and offer more modern man-made, man-pleasing, emotionally driven, visually stimulating, momentarily entertaining stimuli in the process. But the problem with that would be this. We would do so to our own eternal destruction, and there's a lot of scriptures that tell us that. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. Isaiah 5, 18 through 21. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 as well as Luke 16.15. And I want to just point you to Luke 16.15, wherein Jesus was addressing some very zealous spiritual leaders, and he said this, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. I realize the context is a little bit different than what we're talking about, but it applies. Those hooks, those things that draw people in who are looking to be drunk on entertainment in this spiritual realm, those things that draw them in and the, the, all of that entertainment stuff... They may be highly esteemed in the world, but God, that's not what God's looking for. That's not what God asked for. That's not what God wants. God told us what he wants, didn't he? So what do we do? We love him enough to give it to him. 
And subsequently, therefore, question number two is this. What is it we're looking for? We, they're tied together. Why do we worship the way we do? We've looked at that one. But the second question, therefore, subsequently, what is it we are looking for? Why we seek to learn and love and live and worship only in compliance with God's black and white book, chapter, and verse commandments is precisely because of what we're looking for. We're seeking something. We're looking for something. Don't miss what that means. We're looking for something. Because we worship the way we do because of what we're looking for. What are we looking for? Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Would you turn there please? I'll show you what we're looking for. There's a reason we're called seekers by the way. Titus chapter 2 beginning at verse 11. What is it you, as an individual, and you meaning all of you as individuals, what is it you're looking for that makes you worship the way you do? Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and you certainly could put that entertainment mentality, how the world is looking for this bigger and better emotion in the spiritual world, and bigger bands, and bigger light shows, and all of that stuff, under this worldly lust heading, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, here comes our word, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. We are looking to be right because every day we're living in the shadow and with the expectation that the Lord's coming back for us, right? If you ain't living with that expectation, what are you doing as a Christian? But if you're looking for that appearing of our Lord and Savior because of His grace, because of what He's done, because of the blood He shed for us, He did that, it says, that He might redeem us, verse 14, from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people. I'm one of God's own special people. I'm not saying that to boast, but I am so grateful tonight to be one of God's own special people, ain't you? Well, if you are, then you ought to be looking for Him to come back. And if you're looking for the Lord and Savior to come back... And that fills you with inexpressible joy, as Peter says. Then your worship, the reason you worship the way you do is because you're, what if he comes back tonight? I want to be doing what he asked me to do, right? I want to be pleasing God. I want to be worshiping the way God said, because I'm looking for, I'm eagerly anticipating his return. You see, that word there, translated looking for, means to have a patient, confident expectation of the fulfillment of promises. That's what that word looking for right there in verse 13 means. That Greek word means to have a patient, confident, I, I know he's coming back, expectation of the fulfillment of promises. It says, I know God's coming because he said he was and he's faithful. And therefore I'm going to do everything I can to please him and worship and everything else. That phrase looking for carries this idea. Here's the idea it carries. It carries the idea of looking forward to with eager expectation or anticipation. It's sort of like a little kid the night before Christmas. They go to bed. 
They can't sleep. They just, oh, they're just so wound up and they're full of energy on December 20. And they just, they just, they can't wait. There's this eager expectation. Or you might think, why would this thought come to mind? You might think of a bride-to-be. Just saying. And for months prior to the wedding, she's consumed with it, looking forward to this eager expectation and anticipation. She knows the day is coming. She knows the promise is there. And everything about her world, when she's at work, whether she's emailing a picture of the latest wedding dress to her dad in the office or whatever. Why do I come up with this stuff, right? I mean, everything deriving this woman is the wedding day. Folks, the reason we worship the way we do is everything driving us ought to be an expectation of the Lord's return because of what we're looking for. What we're looking for. I want to look at some other passages real quick that contain the same Greek word that's translated looking for here. Give us a little better insight into its meaning. Let's do this quickly. Luke 2. Luke 2. Turn there, please. In Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, and running all the way down through verse 33, we see... Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, and they're going up to Jerusalem. And look what it says here in verse 23. Luke 2, verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. And he, he says this incredible blessing. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Let me ask you a question. When the Bible says there that this man was looking for this to happen, do you think he was just, well, you know, oh well. You know, maybe it happened, maybe it won't. Is that, you think that's what it means? This man's life. He said, now... I hate it when that happens. Try it again. He says, now I can die. What I've been living for has happened. What I've been looking for means what I have been living for. What I've been waiting for. What has consumed me. Now he says I can depart in peace because I have seen your promise fulfilled. You see when the Bible talks with this Greek word about waiting for something. It's this anxious anticipation. It's living for it. Look in verses 36 through 38 of this same chapter. And it says there, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. This woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instance, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She... Look how old this lady must have been. She's serving the Lord. She's been a widow for 84 years. She was married for seven, so that means 91. She had to have been at least 15 when she got married. This woman's probably in triple digits. And for the vast majority of that time, she'd been serving God day and night, waiting for, looking for, living for this moment. Do you see that? 
Look at her service. Look how consumed she was. Look with me at another one in Luke 12. These are all the same Greek word. It's amazing when you look at this. Luke chapter 12 beginning at verse 35. Jesus said, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. What is he saying? Those who wait for their master, those who are living for his return, those who are consumed with looking for and anticipating with eager anticipation his return. You see, that's what we're looking for. That's why we live and learn and study and worship and are consumed with doing this God's way because we're looking for his return. You want to be ready when the master comes back? You want to be one of those five? You know the story of the, the virgins, the five that were prepared and the five that were not? You want to be one of those that's ready? That's what that passage is talking about. Being in a constant state of preparing, being ready, anxiously anticipating, living for, like... A bride for her wedding day, like a child at Christmas, like some of us with vacation. Who knows, right? Only more so. Another one, if we were to turn in Luke 23, verses 50 through 52, we would find there Joseph of Arimathea, who's been, well, I'll just turn there. Luke 23. Luke 23, beginning at verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. In Mark's account, in chapter 15, verse 43, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, was waiting for the kingdom of God and coming and taking courage, he went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What I want you to understand from this, when the Bible says he was waiting for this, waiting for the kingdom, was Joseph of Arimathea waiting for the kingdom in the sense of having such an eager expectation and anticipation he'd do anything for it? Yes. He went into Pilate. What did Pilate just ordered? The death of Jesus. He put his life, his prominent position in the council, and all of that on the line. Sort of like the Apostle Paul said, everything else was rubbish in Philippians 3. He put all of that aside. For what reason? Because he was consumed waiting for, looking for, anticipating, living for this kingdom. If we were to turn to Acts 10 and verse 24, we would see the same word used in connection with Cornelius. You know, when Cornelius got this vision from God and he sent for Peter and Peter comes down to Cornelius' house and Cornelius and all of his relatives are together there in Acts chapter 10 and Peter comes along, you know, and knocks on the door as it were. Cornelius didn't say, well, you know what, I'm busy. He can wait a while. No, you know why? Because Cornelius was waiting for, living for, looking for the kingdom. You see, it is because of what we are looking for. Do you ever just sit back some days when, maybe when you sing that song, Sing to Me of Heaven, do you ever just sit back some days when life is really tough? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's some situation in your life. You just get tired and weary and burdened. Do you ever just sit back and say, 
Man, someday when I get to heaven, I won't have to put up with this. You ever do that? Your preacher does, by the way. Do you? You see, we worship the way we do because we are waiting for. We are living for. We are looking for. We are consumed with the return of our Lord. And you see, we're anxiously anticipating His return. That's why we worship in obedience to book, chapter, and verse, black and white, the way we do. You see, we're not just looking. This is the punchline of the whole sermon, and we've got to get this. We're not just looking for some cheap, emotion-tickling, euphoric, charged-up, self-serving, spiritual rush that doesn't last beyond leaving the parking lot. That's not what we're looking for. And if you're looking for that, you ain't looking for the right thing. That's not what worship is. It's not a euphoric rush that comes because we've gotten what we wanted and served ourselves and we're living on emotion. And, you know, it's like going home from the circus. Boy, weren't the elephants good? And didn't the horses run fast? You know, you come back from worship. Wow, will not the light show something? And that guy on the piano, boy, he could really play. That's not worship. That emotional high doesn't last beyond leaving the parking lot. But you see, we worship the way we do. Because we want a God-glorifying spiritual experience which will propel us into and last for all eternity. 1 Peter 1, 6-9, we worship the way we do because we don't want to disappoint God. We don't want to irreverence God by making worship on His day in His people all about us. We want to make it about Him. That's why we worship the way we do. It's because of what we're looking for. I want to be one of those humble and obedient children when Jesus returns. Who's done it His way. I don't want Him to look at me. And I cry out about all the things I've done for him and have him say to me, depart from me, I never knew you. You know what I want to hear him say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did it my way. Before we close, there's one other usage of this Greek word which I want you to really notice and focus on to give you the hope and perseverance that you may need when friends or neighbors laugh at you because you do things black and white, book, chapter, and verse, and, and we worship without all the trappings of modern-day entertainment, spiritual experiences. There's another passage, the final one, next to the last one. Uh, I want you to, to, to get this one, and that is this. Jesus Christ himself, our Lord and Savior, is always anxiously himself awaiting, anticipating, welcoming and looking for those who will truly humble themselves before him. That's why we worship the way we do. Look in your Bibles in Luke 15. Same Greek word. Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 says... Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. That word right there, receives, 
I've got a little footnote in my New King James Version that says welcomes. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners. That word receives or welcomes is the same word we've been discussing. Anxiously anticipates. Jesus welcomes he eagerly anticipates. He wants. He's looking for. He's waiting anxiously for. He's waiting expectantly for. And welcomes into his presence those who are lost. The rest of the chapter is about those who are lost. Saved and they go, you know, the, the sheep that's lost, the coin that's lost, the son that's lost. This whole chapter here. Starts with this. This man welcomes or anticipates or, or is looking for or lives for those people. And those three illustrations and those stories, that chapter, prove it. In conclusion, we learn and we live and we study and we serve and we work and we worship the way we do. Without musical instruments. Without man-made doctrines, without women worship leaders, without games, gimmicks, clowns, cowboys, rodeos, laser light shows, bands. We worship the way we do simply because of what we're looking for. What we're living for. What we're looking forward to. Jude, verses 20 and 21, say this. And I will leave you with it. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, there's our Greek word again, looking for. That means living for, anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Other versions translate that word anticipating, awaiting, waiting for, waiting anxiously for, waiting expectantly for, and so on and so forth. That's what we are to be anticipating and looking for. Whatever it is that a person is looking for in worship will go a long ways in determining what they find in judgment. Did you get that? What a person is looking for in worship will go a long ways in determining what they will find in judgment. If there's anybody here tonight who's not a member of the Lord's church, you're not one of God's children the way God says you've got to become one of God's children by hearing the gospel and by believing in Jesus and being willing to confess him and repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If somebody would say to you, hey, I'll give you a million dollars to come to the front of the building, would you come down? I got something worth a whole lot more than a million dollars. A million dollars is going to burn just like everything else when the end comes. But your relationship with the Lord is the only thing that's going to matter at that point. If you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel, or if you're somebody that has obeyed the gospel, you have been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but you need the prayers of the church because you're struggling with some sin or you're struggling with some weakness, 
Or maybe you just haven't been waiting for and living for and consumed with, with Christ's return. And just need the prayers of the church for strength. If you have any of those needs tonight, would you please come to the front as we stand and as we sing?